Welcome to the Sydney Uni EU podcast. Today's talk is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and was given by Musa Ghazal. Um, I'm just going to take a quick moment to plug the equip training courses and that's not just because I do the best one which is engaging with Muslims and I think everyone should do it. Um, but I want you to realise the opportunity that we have to do um, the equip training uh, while you're on campus. I think um, when you leave campus, I really hope and pray that you will have wonderful small groups that you can be a part of. Uh, and I hope and pray that you'll listen to fantastic teaching uh, in the future as well. But one thing I do know is that the opportunity will be fairly rare for you uh, to go through really good, solid training uh, in the future. A, because of lack of time, and uh, B, because they're just not that available out there. Not to the kind of depth that you'll be able to receive in the EU. Um, you're at Sydney University already by now. Most of you would realise that your churches want you to lead various things like youth groups and kids church and all those kinds of things. And so really helpful for you would be to get the basic training under your belt so that you can lead your churches really effectively in the future. So I just want you to recognise that that is one of the best things that you can take out of the EU and I just don't want you to miss out on that opportunity. So do uh, sign up for as many of those courses as you possibly can. That's my plug. As you know, I am filling in for Rowan. Uh, Rowan is in ISO. Um, uh, I was going to apologise for that, but given the nature of the talk, uh, or sorry, the passage that we're looking at today, that would be inappropriate. So let's dig in. Uh, to 1 Corinthians 2 together, shall we? Uh, it'd be great if you had 1 Corinthians 2 open uh, in front of you. Um, the question we're actually going to explore today is how do we know God? Well, that's kind of what Paul has been uh, raising for us from uh, chapter 1. Can we discover God, find things out about him? Can we reach him and can we kind of work out what he is on about uh, in the universe? Um, as I said, we're looking at uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which uh, Rowan has already introduced us to over the last couple of weeks, uh, particularly chapter 1. But in chapter 1, uh, Paul points out to the church there that they're thinking like the world around them and not really Christianly at all. Because when our world uh, wants to look for God, they expect to find God in the, what, how do we put it, the beautiful, the powerful, the spectacular, the impressive, the those kinds of things of the world, you know, think sunsets, Himalayas, uh, Niagara Falls, those, you know, blue mountains, those kinds of things. Uh, or um, if they're thinking in terms of logic and human wisdom, well, they're looking for in, in the wisdom of philosophy or science or those higher pursuits. Um, they might go a bit of a different path. They might search him out in the delightful spiritual mystical experiences that draw us upwards ecstatically or inwards in ecstasy. Um, but it's always a search upwards through the good or the beautiful or the powerful or the wise or generally speaking the more glorious things of the world because that's where we would logically think to expect to find God. That is... <clears throat> The world looks to what or who is impressive or what or who is wise and eloquent and appealing. But if you think about it, that is actually the opposite in Christianity. At the centre of Christianity lies the cross and the message of the cross of Jesus crucified. 
Uh, the world would never think to look for God in the cross because what is the cross? Well, the cross is barbaric. It's repulsive. It's weak. It's foolish. It's an emblem of torture and death. I mean, why would you think God would be in that? But when Christians look at the cross of Jesus, they see a thing of beauty, of glory, of wisdom, of power, because they understand that through it, God himself is revealed and we are saved. But because the world values wisdom or power or eloquence, glory, beauty, it chases after these kinds of things, it will never chase after God in that direction. That's the kind of whole point uh, that Paul is making uh, here. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, these kinds of pursuits take humanity away further from God and they're really not seeking after God in the end. I mean, it is, when you think about it, though, crazy to think that God is to be found in a tortuous uh, death of a naked man hanging on two bits of 4 by 2 nailed together. It's just, it's crazy to imagine that is the place that you would go to in all of history and in all of the universe to seek after God and to find God. Uh, who would ever think that? Um, nothing could look more pathetic or weak or stupid. Uh, and virtually every, um, everyone witnessing those kinds of events back in those days would have just been repulsed by it. Uh, it, just, it, would have been, um, it would have made you cry rather than uh, think of God and look upwardly. I mean, how could God possibly be in it? What good thing could God possibly bring out of it? But that is exactly what Christians believe. Um, God is in it, and great wisdom and great power is to be found in it because in it lies our salvation. Now, Paul was saying all this, remember, to the Corinthians um, because they were a divided church. They divided over the various leaders that they were going to be following in the church. Some followed one leader over for one reason or other, and, and others chose another leader to follow, and so on. And they chose their leaders because what we're drawing between the lines here, uh, because of what Paul says, uh, based on well who they were impressed by, or their eloquence, or their charisma, or their style. Uh, but this is... Oh, what happened? I've run out of battery. Um, uh, it's clearly not an energizer. Yeah, so they were, they were following uh, various leaders depending on their eloquence and style. Um, but Paul is actually pointing out to them, you're actually doing the same thing as what the world around you would do because that's the way the world chooses to follow uh, people. The cross of Jesus, Paul wants to point out to them, turns the world's values upside down. It actually gives Christians a new way to think about reality. We ought to be looking at the world through the lens of the cross. But the problem is that as Christians, we regularly forget this and we revert to our old ways of thinking just like the world around us. And so Paul reminds the Corinthians that God chose, remember, the unimpressive cross of Jesus by which to reveal himself and to save them. And not only that, uh, he chose a fairly unimpressive method of making this event known to the world through preaching that simple message. Preaching the gospel. I mean, he could have uh, made the Romans invent video back then and he could have recorded it. And that's, but no, God deliberately chose that method. Um, and not only that, 
but in verses 26 to 31 of chapter 1, God chose unimpressive people to be saved, to be his people. He could have chosen world rulers. He could have chosen superstar celebrities by which to be saved, um, the influential, the noble people of the world, to make it very clear to people and to influence the rest of humanity and draw them in that way. But that's not what God did. He chose nobodies, like us. <laughs> that's who God chose. I mean, I'm sorry if you think of yourself as a somebody. I, I do want to point out to you, if that's the case, it doesn't say not any of you were wise or influential or noble. It just says not many were wise or influential. So you may be one of the some. But let's face it, most of us are in the nobody category, yeah? Um, and we're not going to we're not going to be the ones that go out there and, and, and people are going to stop us and go, oh, Musa, um, tell me what you believe. Um, let me know what, what, what it is that saved you. Uh, they don't do that. Uh, God uh, chose nobody. No, just, I, I do want to say you guys, I think, are terrific. I'm just telling you that's the way the world around you will, will see it, okay? Um, but uh, I, I think you're wonderful for being here and you're my brothers and sisters in the Lord and I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, God, we're told, deliberately did this to turn the world's wisdom upside down. And as we come to chapter 2 today, we see that Paul actually continues uh, this theme by reminding them of what he was like when he first approached them. He was a very unimpressive preacher. Um, uh, back in those days... If you're going to be a public speaker, people expected to be wowed. Uh, powerful speakers uh, impressing uh, people with their rhetoric and logic. That's what they came to, particularly the Greeks and the Romans. Um, and these are the kind of speakers that were easy on the ear and, and could win you over. Now, I think if we were back then, and I think we still think this way, if I was God, they the kind of speakers I would choose to promote the gospel message around the world because that's what you want, don't you? You want people wowed and won over so that they can be saved. Um, we would choose winners, great public speakers and debaters who could win people over by their impressive speaking skills, but that's not who God chooses. And clearly Paul doesn't fit that category um, because look at him in verses 1 to 3. He he can't, you can't describe that as a, an impressive public speaker. He certainly didn't wow the Corinthians with his oratory and uh, rhetoric and logic. Uh, in fact, quite the opposite. I think he came across as quite pathetic. Have a look at verse 3. He's weak, fearful, trembling. This is no winner of a speaker that people would naturally follow. He sounds like I'm, I think, I'm just trying to picture what it would have been like being one of the Corinthians who originally heard Paul. I think you, you, when you hear someone like that, you go, oh, I'm cringing. <laughs> and the only reason I'll accept what they say is if it's true. And that's the point. Paul is saying that the unimpressive speaking skills actually suited the gospel message to a T. Because he didn't want them to be won over by how impressive a speaker he was, but by the truth of the gospel. And th there is a danger, isn't there, if you have a very impressive uh, gospel preacher. People can actually be converted by them 
and won over by their logic, their impressive uh, preaching skills, rather than the truth of the gospel. It's Jesus you need to fall in love with, not the preacher. It's, it's just like, um, yeah, I'm not saying that uh, just to be very clear. I actually think um, uh, Rowan is a fantastic uh, uh, Bible uh, teacher. And so we don't want to simply reject uh, uh, impressive speakers out of hand. Uh, it's just that you want to make sure that you're convinced by the truth of the gospel. And that's why we will regularly appeal to the scriptures and want you to believe the scriptures, not us. Okay? And, and that's a good lesson for you right throughout your lives. Don't be uh, won over by the Spirit. Make sure what they're saying comes out of the Bible. Because if you're going to hold on to it, uh, you want to uh, hold on to the truth of God's word. That's what needs to win the day. Now, we don't re reject impressive preachers, just like I, I don't think this passage is, is telling us to, to reject worldly wisdom either. Uh, we think it's a great thing that you're coming to university to gain worldly wisdom from the people around you who aren't necessarily Christians, but we think it's a good thing because you stand to gain for this world. You'll gain an education, a career um, out of it, and there's good things that can come out of it. It's just that you're not going to know God that way, and you're not going to be saved by gaining worldly wisdom. It's good for this life, but it's not good for eternity. And that's why we think it's really important for you, even <clears throat> while you're here at uni, to come to the EU and make sure you gain wisdom uh, from God that will help you into all eternity. So it's good on you for being here. We need to move on. Um, given all the negativity that Paul has just spoken out in all of chapter 1 and in the beginning of chapter 2 uh, towards wisdom and the wise of the world, it comes as a little bit surprising that in verse 6 he suddenly calls the gospel a message of wisdom. And he wants to point out it is a message of wisdom. But not worldly wisdom, which he says amounts to nothing uh, in relation to God. So it's a divine spiritual wisdom. But verse 7, God's wisdom is a secret wisdom that has been hidden. Verse 8, hidden away from the rulers of the world. If they had discovered it, he says, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Uh, they would have recognised him for who he really is and accepted him as the Lord of glory. But they didn't discover it because they couldn't discover it because it was hidden by God. It was a secret. In verse 9, it was a secret that no one could have possibly conceived or imagined. And how could anyone possibly conceive or imagine that God, who loved his son more than anything else in the world, would send him to die so barbarically on a cross? Who would have thought that? Who would have come up with that? And use it as the means by which to save the world. I mean, you would never come up with that by analysing, dissecting the cosmos and, and going into the micro, microcosm of the world and, and science. You just, there's no way you would have come up with it. Not even the cleverest, wisest human being out there would have come up with that in a million years. Because it was hidden from them. Now, you guys are clever people. You've been self-selected. You've come to Sydney University. Um, we only take top-notch people. Uh, we make it very clear. Uh, so I'm going to challenge you now. Have a look at the person next to you. So choose one person next to you and look at each other. Without talking, I want you to see if you can work out what they're thinking right now, other than what are you thinking right now. Um, 
See if you can work out what they think. And see if you can work out just by looking at them, analysing their clothing. Maybe there's something, a tattoo on them or something like that that gives them something away. Work out what they're going to do tonight or tomorrow or next week or next year. What are they on about just by looking at them? You guys are doing the opposite of what I told you to do without talking. Um, I, I fear that you're giving too much information away. And this is the point, isn't it? Anyone work it out? Anyone work out what their neighbour was on about? You worked it out? Had to work it out? You guessed? No? no you're, sorry, I thought you were raising your hand. <laughs> Don't go to an auction. Um, uh, anyone? No. Because... The only way you can actually work it out is if they actually open their mouths and they start talking to you and they reveal to you what is going on within them. Without that happening, it remains hidden. It's a secret that only they possess and only they can tell. And that's the point here. The only way you can do it is someone reveals it. Uh, and here's the thing. If we can't do that with a mere human being who's finite, then how do we possibly do that with God who's infinite and who's created such a marvellous universe that we can't even get to the bottoms of uh, in our pursuit of science? We can know very little about God, uh, the Bible tells us, by pursuing that pathway. We can actually know three things. Romans 1 tells us that we can know that he exists from the universe around us, that he's incredibly powerful and that he's vast beyond measure. They're, they're the only things that we can work out is eternity. But that's about it. If we want to know God and what he is on about, that we need God to speak, to reveal himself to us and tell us. And in verse 10, it tells us that is exactly what God has done. The secret is now out. The cat is out of the bag. It's no longer a secret. And what he tells us is staggering. It's amazing. Who would have thought that God's plan for all eternity was to send Jesus to die on the cross so that we could be saved? We could never work that out. And who would have thought just by looking at the world that God would love us so much? That he would be angry with our sin and yet send Jesus to die, who he loved more than anything else in the world, to, to die for us. We could not have worked that out. Now here's the point that we here at Sydney University need to realise. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a philosopher or get HDs in your discipline to know this. To work it out. You just simply have to be told it to you in a way that you can understand. That's all it takes. Finally, in verses 10 to 16, I shouldn't say finally because I've still got a fair bit to go, don't worry about it. Um, uh, but that's the final section. Uh, we can see that the Holy Spirit uh, is required in order to receive the message and to understand it. Now, here's my question to you. I want you to do a little bit of work now. Have a look at verses 10 to 16. 
And uh, Paul mentions a we and an us in there. And talk to the person next to you this time and see if you can work out who the we and the us refers to. Who is the we and the us in verses 10 to 16? Go. So the question is, um, verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. And at the end of verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. Who is the we and the us? Anyone? So we who have the spirit, so Christians as opposed to non-Christians, I, I take it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's um, uh, a lot of people want to uh, argue for that. Anyone else? Okay, so that could be uh, the church and anyone who is receiving uh, the message from Paul at the time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, um, so the apostles and possibly another kind of smaller select band of people like the apostles. That, that was, yeah, so Paul calls, uh, uh, says the apostles and prophets of the New Testament in Ephesians 4, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you read through the commentaries, you'll get a number of different uh, opinions as to, to what it is. But I, I'm going to suggest to you, and I think this is the case, that if you chase it through the whole letter even, uh, the we and the us really is just the apostles and the apostolic band, if you like, maybe including the, the prophets as well. Um, uh, um, and I wish I had time to, to argue that case and to show you, uh, but I think it works and listen to my, and then I want you to evaluate it for yourself anyway, but li listen to what I, I'm going to, to say to you from it. Because it's, what, what he's saying here is it's not that God chose the apostles because um, they were clever and they could have worked it out and that's the way, and that's what actually happened. Uh, and then they delivered it on to us. No, God chose the apostles to reveal it to them by his spirit. Verse 12 says, it's not that they earned the right to know it. It was freely given to them. And you can't possibly work for it. You can't possibly earn it. Um, uh, this kind of revelation only comes from God as a free gift uh, to, to, to people. And the point is uh, that they need the Holy Spirit in order to know God's plan uh, and Jesus and his plan of salvation for the world. In verse 11, in much the same way that the only one who knows what a human is thinking is his own spirit, uh, so it is with God's thoughts and God's Holy Spirit. Uh, I take it your spirit is who you really are on the inside and what you're thinking, planning, hoping, dreaming, your passions, all those kinds of things. What makes you tick as a person? Um, and only you know you in that way. Only you know what's going on inside of you, yeah? Um, uh, well, God's spirit knows what God is thinking. Only God knows God. And if, God, if the Holy Spirit were not God, then he wouldn't know God. Just like if Jesus was not God, then he wouldn't know God. He couldn't reveal himself to him. But because the spirit is God and knows God, uh, and likewise the Son, they can reveal God to us perfectly, exactly, precisely. There's no speculation in it. It's definite and real. And so the Spirit delivers that to the apostles who thankfully wrote it down for us and proclaimed it among the churches, um, but wrote it down for us in the New Testament. And therefore, I want to say the Bible is therefore the word of the Spirit, the word of God. This isn't saying that you need to have some sort of personal revelation from God in order for you to know God. 
God has revealed himself through his son and through the spirit in the apostolic word. Um, But the apostles didn't take God's message, Paul says, and fluff it up with impressive words and eloquence and human wisdom in order to make it more palatable to our ears so that we would, you know, be biased and follow it. No, they communicated what the spirit himself revealed in the manner and words that the spirit gave to them. Uh, It was a spiritual means. Um, But not only uh, does it take the Holy Spirit to reveal it to the apostles as the speakers and proclaimers, but it also takes the Holy Spirit working in us as the recipients to receive the apostolic word and the spiritual word that comes through the apostles. Does that make sense? Um, uh, Have a look at verse 14. And we see that there. Verse 14, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, which I take as from the apostles, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are are discerned only through the spirit. It's very clear here that without the spirit, it's impossible to accept the message uh, that comes from the spirit of God because um, uh, uh, they... uh, It's not that they can't understand the message. I think it's actually quite simple to understand. It's just that you'll never receive it. You'll never accept it and believe it. Uh, It comes across as, chapter 1, utter madness and pathetic and weak. The concept of the Lord of glory being crucified uh, comes across as just utterly ridiculous. How can the king... Uh, And how can that barbaric event save you? It's just ridiculous to the eyes of the world. But if through the Spirit of God you receive this gospel message, then you'll see it for what it really is. Wisdom from God. True wisdom from God that suddenly makes sense of everything. There is a wisdom that even surpasses human wisdom in that sense. God's ways will suddenly fall into place and it won't look to you like utter ridiculousness, but it will make perfect sense. It makes sense that God, uh, who is perfectly just, is rightly angry with our sin, with the way that we treat him, each other, the world. It makes sense of the fact that God, who is loving beyond comprehension and wants to forgive us and is rightly angry, would send Jesus to take the punishment for our sins. Because he must punish sins. He can't just simply say the wars, the killings, the murder that's going on in the world, the violence, the hating, the backbiting, the gossip, the slander, um, the abuse. That matters to God. He just can't simply sweep that under the carpet and dismiss it as something unimportant. It must be punished. It must be dealt with fully so that God's justice reigns on the earth so that he is shown to be just. But he doesn't punish sin in the perpetrators, but in the innocent Son of God. And it makes sense of the fact that Jesus is God, because he's not punishing an innocent third person. Um, you, You see, the message of Christ crucified helps us to see that God is perfectly just, God is perfectly loving, and we couldn't hold those two seemingly contradictory things together without the cross. Makes sense of God. Makes sense of reality, the world around us, and it makes sense of ourselves. 
The cross gives us a different way of looking at everything. And it takes the Holy Spirit of God giving you a new heart and mindset and eyes to see it. In other words, I think this is just reiterating what the scriptures say elsewhere, that you, it's impossible to become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. God's Spirit transforms the way you think about everything. And he does that by applying the gospel message into your life and changing your values, changing the way you see the world. And when you do that, you will suddenly realise, well, human power, money, glory, all those things, well, they're just temporary and they're coming to nothing. And you'll suddenly not care about how the world judges you and, and thinks of you, that you're a freak that you're one of those crazy people who believes a crazy message uh, that is so out of touch with the, how the world works around us. You won't care about that because you'll know that the only person that matters when it comes to judgment is God himself. And you'll know that he has judged you, yes, as a sinner, but he has also forgiven you and that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that will be the only judgment to, to you that matters. Finally, in uh, verse 16, I said the, the we and the us in this passage is, is talking about the apostles because it says there that no one uh, can, uh, no one, uh, sorry, uh, no, know the mind, but we have the mind of Christ. Um, it, it made me remember uh, that um, world-famous physicist Stephen Hawking, who wrote that brief history of time, and the conclusion of that famous book. Remember that, where he's uh, talking about um, if we can get into the inner workings of the universe and work out how it all works together, how it, how it holds together. Uh, he says, if we find the answer to that, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason, for then we would know the mind of God. And I felt like shouting out, no, Paul said 2,000 years ago, you would never know the mind of God that way. That is not going to help you discover the mind of God because we would never discover the cross through physics, not even if we understood it to the nth degree. The only way we can know the mind of God is if he revealed it to us. And Paul and the apostles received the mind of Christ through the Spirit of God. And only secondarily can we say that we have the mind of Christ if we grasp and accept their message recorded in the pages of the New Testament and allow it to transform our way of thinking. Now, I say that very clearly because just a quick word of warning from chapter 3, verse 1. Have a look at that. Because he describes the Corinthians there as not spiritual. They are worldly baby Christians. Not that they don't have the spirit. They do. They're Christian they're highly gifted Christians. In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, you'll see that they're speaking in tongues, prophesying, got words of knowledge even. But Paul says they're not spiritual. They are worldly, still baby Christians. Maturity in Christ, therefore, is not about your giftedness or your experiences, but about accepting the message of the gospel and allowing it to transform the way you think about everything. And the Corinthians had not done that. You can be highly gifted, but immature as a Christian. It's not about how clever you are, or how much you know, and how well you can go to every part of the Bible and, and explain it to, to the nth degree. Uh, 
These are all good things, but ultimately it's not what it's about. It's about humbly receiving the word of God. God's way was through the folly and weakness of the cross, through the folly and weakness of preaching the cross. Therefore, it's not about impressiveness or qualities or anything like that. It just requires humility. to you to humbly receive the message. So we have to realise um, that it's not going to be your cleverness or your, uh, your knowledge or insight that's going to help you grow as a Christian as well. That's not, it's about receiving the message and allowing it to transform you. That's humbly because it's, it's free. It doesn't require clever skills from you. But this is the thing that we need to realise. That means anybody and everybody can become a Christian. And anybody and everybody can mature as a Christian. You don't have to be a Sydney Unit grad to mature as a Christian and to grow in spiritual wisdom. You can be very simple and grow and mature and be very wise in the eyes of heaven. God's wisdom, God's ways make it a level playing field for anyone who wants to know God. All that's needed, therefore, is humble faith. So let's pray for humble faith, shall we? Father in heaven, we do ask that you would please give us a humble faith to receive this apostolic word so that we can mature and grow in our faith before you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's talk. The Evangelical Union, or EU, is a student club on campus at Sydney University that seeks to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. To join us or to find out more, please visit sydneyuneeu.org.